What's up, everybody? It's Bo here with another Mandalorian TV Talk. All right, some big reveals in this episode as we discover that Moff Gideon, dun, 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 is still out there and, in fact, has an entire secret Imperial base underneath the surface of Mandalore. You know, you almost kind of wonder if he is the one that really propagated and spread the rumors about Mandalore being cursed, the planet being poisoned, but basically just trying to keep everybody away with misinformation. That seems like a very Imperial tactic to me. But what I love about this is that this episode really kind of showcases a lot of what's going on in the broader universe. Now, one of the things that I've kind of seen in terms of criticism that's been late at this season is that it has spent too much time with kind of the world building elements of Star Wars and not enough time with just the Mando going out and doing a thing and, and yada, yada, yada. I disagree with that. I've really, like, really enjoyed the world building aspects of this season. I've, I've found it to be one of the best seasons. And, like, and that's not to downput anything that came before. This series has continued to build and grow in a way that works, for me anyway, really, really well. Now, Ben, they haven't all been wins. Talked a little bit about how last week was a little bit of a, a swing and a miss for me personally and for other people as well. But broadly speaking, I've just loved it. I loved the pirates. I loved the way that that story came together and came to a head with this big battle sequence and everything else. We almost got like a finale right smack dab in the middle of the series. And I just love that energy that keeps on like being poured. And like every single time they hit a new high, they go even bigger, they go even higher. And we just keep on getting rewarded throughout. So broadly speaking, fantastic season. We're not done yet. We've got one more episode to go, and this really does set up for what's to come. Gideon is out here, and he is one of a handful of these Imperial warlords that are in this kind of post-Imperial galactic state, right? The New Republic has come in. They have kind of, you know, retaken back, you know, the, the government, and they're trying to reestablish a republic that, as we have seen throughout this season, still has some of the kind of the stench of the empire throughout. At the same time, there's these worlds that are outside of the New Republic or haven't like yet rejoined the Republic that are still under the rule, not of the Empire, but of these former Imperial now warlords over those sectors, over those planets. And in order to make sure they're not perceived to be this, this threat to the new regime, they're out here kind of acting as though they're cowboys when secretly there's this shadow council, this organization that's planning on a rebirth to the empire. This is a concept that has been kind of seeded out in a lot of media from before the Disney era and after the Disney acquisition. The notion that Palpatine had contingency plans built on top of contingency plans. It's a very Sith-like mindset, right? Like you're, you're constantly... You know, try now that you, you go after power, and then once you have that power, what do you do? You do everything that you possibly can to secure it, and you almost become paranoid, overly so, in the fact that you now literally rule everything. Therefore, everything is out to get you, and so you have all these contingency plans built in. Project Necromancer, we've got to imagine that has something to do with the concept of Palpatine somehow returning, right? Like that seems to be what they're building up to. We've seen all of this kind of cloning facilities going on. We got introduced to uh, Hux, whose son will go on to be a pretty prominent member of the First Order. We also got introduced to characters that are connected directly with Thrawn. Now, I don't know the, the especially the newer stuff as it relates to Thrawn's backstory. I, I did read the first Thrawn book that came out in uh, at least you know the first book in the the newer series that came out, and then the second book, I I, don't, I think I read about half of it, and I just I couldn't I couldn't finish it. I couldn't get all the way through it. That being said, Thrawn's still a really awesome character, and 
the idea of him being this heir to the empire that there's kind of like this this two-way path, right? Like you've got this Imperial Shadow Council. They're out here. They need leadership. They're working on creating a new Palpatine. They're, they're putting Palpatine's plans in place to resurrect him in some form or fashion, likely through cloning. But then there's this other aspect of Grand Admiral Thrawn, who was very opposed to the way that the Empire like ran things. He's not a good guy. He just thought that like, okay, we're putting way too much into super weapons. And what we need to be doing is having like a really expansive fleet and really focusing on TIE fighters. And and that was really kind of his mindset of we need to, the, the way in which we are establishing control and dominance is relied way too heavily on these singular powerhouse super weapons. We need to actually broaden this and like create this web, a suit of armor around the galaxy, if you will. This is who Thrawn is. This is what he was all about. And now with the Emperor removed, he is the heir to the Empire in many respects, especially since Vader's not there either. So Thrawn coming back into the picture after he's been away for so long, we, we see that somehow there's some communication that's going on. And I guess that's going to be explored in the Ahsoka uh, series and Thrawn is really going to be introduced in this era of kind of the post-imperial New Republic era of Star Wars as this, you know, Palpatine, Thanos, if you will-esque threat that is going to have to get the galaxy to wake up and realize the war is not totally won. And perhaps they won't realize that, which is why we end up with the First Order in, in the future. But all of this is going on in the background. And what really, like, what we care about, I suppose, in this moment with kind of Mandalorians is that whilst there are these plans to resurrect Palpatine and bring back Grand Admiral Thrawn from this Shadow Council, there's still, at the moment, a lack of leadership. And Gideon is very much of the mindset of, I'm going to step into this. This is where I belong. This is where I need to be. So we see that he's been in charge of this whole dark trooper project and that he's like going further with it than even his other fellow Imperial warlords know about. He's incorporating aspects of Mandalorian technology with Beskar specifically. He references the clone troopers. So we know that there is some, some element of cloning that's going on. And he also talks about utilizing something as it relates to the Jedi. He said he was, he's perfected the whole dark trooper concept but this time, like, he's, he's brought it to, like, its ultimate form or whatever, and the one inside the armor is now him. This is very antithetical to what he said at the end of last season, because before he said, we, we removed the human element, and so now they're just droids. Well, okay, so it looks like, I, I suppose the argument is, that's great until Luke Skywalker comes in, does a hallway scene, and now, you know, your entire science project is ruined. So what does he do? He brings it to the next level. What if... What we're going to see behind those pods and the ones that will be wearing this armor probably next episode are these dark troopers that have some sort of like mutant hybrid clone of both Gideon and yeah, Grogu, right? Because he was harvesting Grogu. So I'm wondering if the idea is that there's these kind of like force sensitive clones of Gideon that are like wrapped up in these Mandalorian armor type suits. And I don't know, that seems pretty dark, but at the same time, they are dark troopers. So 
You know what I mean? Like it's it's possible. Gideon is such a great villain, by the way, for for this series and for Mandalore. Uh, just the way in which he's responsible for conquering it. He really lets that like feed his ego. He he wants to be. He wants to kind of step into this leadership role. You know, even just him with his own Mandalorian armor is such an affront to the very people that he's oppressing. You look also at the the, the stormtroopers that are around him in some form of Mandalorian-esque styled stormtrooper armor. I got to even wonder if perhaps these themselves are actually Mandalorians that defected to the Empire, something that was explored in the Rebels series. Look, I spent a lot of time talking about the Imperial element here, uh, and you know, there's a lot more to talk about. Obviously, Grogu now rolling around inside IG-11, who is now IG-12. Uh, we've got Taika Waititi providing the voice of Grogu's yes, no, which is very, very funny. But it also allows for Grogu to enter into the fray. I've got to imagine at some point that armor is going to be melted down to become what will be his his first true Mandalorian armor. We got to see this other faction of Mandalorians living kind of this Mad Max lifestyle on top of the surface. That was really great. It was interesting because we've seen so much of Mandalorians as like these warriors in their prime, right? Like they're all out here. They're all these epic fighters and everything else. And then we find these, you know, these Mandalorians with that kind of warrior-esque spirit, but they're all like starving and in this very weakened state. And so it's it's a, such a big contrast and also really helps to further the notion that we have essentially these lost tribes of Mandalore that are scattered throughout the galaxy with their own belief systems, with their own mindsets, with their own cultures, yet they all share this kinship, which is kind of this, you know, holy land, if you will, of Mandalore. But with them being captured at the end of this episode, and obviously the the fall of, uh, oh man, uh, uh, Vizsla dude, I'm blanking on the guy's name, but he he was related to the Vizsla clan, which was obviously connected to the Darksaber. And also, I was thinking about this, Guy goes down, he's like knocked out by the Praetorian guards or Praetorian guards is kind of the evolution of the guards that used to guard Palpatine and kind of what will one day be the ones that are guarding Snoke. Like, and these guys are awesome. We see this, that they are very effective, especially when they're not going up against two Jedi. They, they can, you know, three versus one Mandalorian, fair fight. But Vizsla goes down in a pretty epic way. And it, it's, it's a great way to kind of conclude who this character has been. But one of the things that I thought was very interesting is that he's got to be like the brother of the dude that led Bo-Katan, right? Or maybe like a cousin or or something. And they never really touched on that. Like Bo was very close to his relative, like very close, like like maybe, maybe like very close. I, I can't quite remember. It was all in the Clone Wars. And for as much that we have seen of this series and the way in which they have been very, oh man. I mean, like they have tried very much to thread a lot of needles here, which is they're telling their own story they're establishing new lore but they're doing so in this world where a lot of lore has been established around this stuff already that seemingly contradicts a lot of what they want to do and they've had to kind of walk this line of okay we told our story we've done it our way now we have to make it fit in the broader star wars universe and a lot of what we've seen especially this season has been heavy lifting in that in that regard so with all that heavy lifting, I find it interesting that we never actually got a, a nod from Bo-Katan that this Vizsla dude are like, that they, they, they know each other. She, she used to, you know, have a thing going with his brother. I, I mean, not a romantic, maybe it was a romantic, I don't know. It was never, I don't think it was ever fully stated. And I don't know that that's his brother, it could be his cousin. Anyway, he's dead, he's, he's dead now. So next, next week's episode should be epic. I'm really excited to see what's in those tubes and what's going on with the Dark Trooper program. Uh, Gideon, his major play here, he wants to be the heir to the empire. 
one imagines he will not succeed at that. So whether or not we see the end of Gideon next week, who knows? Whether or not we see the end of Din Djarin next week, who knows? But I think one thing we're definitely going to see next week is Grogu going all IG-12 on uh, on a lot of Mando stormtroopers. So it'll, it'll, it'll be a very interesting to see. All right, that's my thoughts. We'd love to hear yours. Uh, head over to tvtalk.fm. Be sure to leave us a review for this podcast. You can also uh, head over to the Twitters, use the hashtag MandalorianTVTalk to share your thoughts. Uh, all this and more to come as we've got uh, you know a Picard TV talk coming at you uh, very soon as well so be sure to stay tuned for that that's gonna do it for this week don't worry I'll be back in a flash <laughs>